You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast produced by Veteran Strategies and featuring conversations with fascinating and impactful men and women who have shaped our world, our communities, and our history. My name is Robert Vane, Principal of Veteran Strategies, and your host for our discussion. You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise, and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Garmond Construction, Leaders and Legends LLC, the Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. You may find all your sales and equipment needs at McAllister.com. We are pleased to announce our podcast is now a member of the All Indiana Podcast Network in partnership with Wish TV. You may find Leaders and Legends at allindianapodcastnetwork.com. Thinking of starting a podcast or need to host a public meeting? Let Leaders and Legends LLC be your partner as you look for new ways to communicate your message. Please contact Chris Spangle and me at leadersandlegends.net. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today. We have three distinguished guests, but our subject is the lifetimes, career, and impact of Congresswoman Julia Carson. Our guests are Cordelia Lewis-Burks, a longtime friend and political ally, her grandson, current United States Congressman Andre Carson, and Jim Shella, former political reporter for Wish TV and our sometimes co-host here on the Leaders and Legends podcast. Julia Carson served nearly two decades in the Indiana legislature and as Center Township trustee before winning election to the United States House of Representatives in 1996. Carson, the first African-American and first woman to represent the Indiana State Capitol and Congress, focused on issues that affected working class Americans, many of whom she knew firsthand. She was born Julia May Porter in Louisville, Kentucky, but her family eventually moved to Indianapolis, and she graduated from Crispus Attucks High School in 1955. We love to talk about fellow IPS grads on the Leaders and Legends podcast, how high school class of 86. A short while later, she married. She had two children, Sam and Tanya. She later studied at Martin University and Indiana University. In 1965, she was working as a secretary in the local chapter chapter of United Auto Workers when she met newly elected representative and our good friend of the podcast, rest his soul, Andy Jacobs. Jacobs hired her to work as a caseworker and district aide, and she worked for him for seven years until 1972 when she was elected to the Indiana House of Representatives. From 1973 to 77, she served in the State House. From 77 to 79, she served as a member of the Indiana State Senate. Throughout her service in the state legislature, she was employed as the Human Resources Director, an electric company, a job she had from 1973 to 1996. I wanted to read through all that to give a little bit of context for the discussion today. Ms. Cordelia, Congressman Carson, Mr. Shella, thank you very much for coming on the podcast today. What an honor. Thank you. Delighted. Thank you. Great to be here. Um, I guess I get to kick it off at this point. Cordelia, I want to start with you. How, <laughs> how did you get to know Julia Carson and, and how did your alliance begin? Well, when I moved here from Chicago, Illinois, where I went after I graduated from West Virginia State College and Institute West Virginia, uh, I am... Um, I I was asked to become a precinct committee person, which I did. And that's how I met Julia. Uh, I used to go to many meetings that the the state party had and the county party. And we became uh, colleagues before we became friends. (laughs) And this was before she was in office? Before she was in office. Okay. And I know you... uh... For our our listeners' sake, uh, you served a long time as vice chair of the Indiana Democratic Party, but you've you've worked uh, with and for uh, the Ask Me uh, Union, and and Julia started out as as you heard with with the United Auto Workers. Were you you were teamed up for that reason, were you? 
Yeah. Well, you know, my first years here in the state of Indianapolis, uh, state of Indiana, Indianapolis, Indiana, uh, I worked at Central State Hospital for 20 years, 10 years in nursing and 10 years in administration. Uh, when I was asked by Norman Hill, who was a protege of A. Philip Randolph, to become a, a active in the Aunt Randolph Institute, which I did subsequently becoming president of the local chapter. And at the time, uh, there were not significant African-Americans uh, in key positions with in international and state unions. So I was asked to um, uh, recommend someone to become an intern here from Indianapolis. And I began to look over my membership list and sent it to Norman. And he indicated that the executive board of the Indiana State AFL-CIO wanted me to be the intern. I went, oh my God, I can't give up my job at <laughs> Central State Hospital, no less, uh, which I subsequently did. And uh, that's how my, um, my adventure in politics here in the state of Indiana uh, occurred. Of course, my dad was very political back in Magdal County, West Virginia. He was a pastor of a church. Can you believe that? Looking at me, yes. <laughs> God and Christ, yes. no less. <laughs> so that that uh, that was how I became very active in politics, and of course with the Honorable Julia Carson. Uh, Congressman, uh, you know we all know that that you are Julia Carson's grandson, and that you succeeded her in Congress. At what stage in your life uh, did she start grooming you to be a politician? <laughs> You know, I didn't I didn't I didn't grow up, you know, wanting to be a politician per se. I was around it. You know, in, in 1984, uh, you all remember a, a guy by the name of Jesse Jackson uh, took a stab at the presidency. And my grandmother um, was uh, a delegate to the convention and she raised me. So I, I went out to San Francisco with her. A lady by the name of Pat Brown was on that trip. And um, Jesse Jackson obviously did not get the nomination, but, you know, we came back to Indianapolis registering voters. I wasn't even old enough to vote, you know, at the time. I was thinking about, uh, you know, G.I. Joe and Transformers and whatever else was hot back then. Um, uh, but, I, but, but it was kind of during that time, you know, we, I, we were phone banking. I was phone banking. I wasn't old enough to vote. Um, I would hear stuff like, you know, Iran-Contra, what does this mean? Um, Jesse Jackson was attractive to me because he was you know, African-American, but he rhymed when he spoke. I thought that was fascinating. And, you know, coming out of a unique tradition, you know, we went to a Baptist church and Ms. Cordelia is a, a PK, a preacher's kid, I was used to the call and response and going to Catholic school during the week. I was an altar boy. So the, the stylistically, there were differences. Um, the priest uh, demonstrated perhaps uh, a different style in terms of his communication. He was a bit more succinct. I think that the Baptist preacher was a bit more extemporaneous, but uh you know, there was some electricity there. Uh, but I but and, and so I started comparing the two. And, you know, this this whole conversation about welfare was very popular in the 80s. And I would hear stuff about welfare queens. It was shaking. me. I would get scared. What's a welfare queen? Oh, man, that must be horrendous. You know, but I'm still a kid. Right. But I'm but I'm tagging along at the state house. I'm hearing things about taxes and it's interesting because when you when you you know we 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 lived in the inner city, but a lot of people, I think they they don't understand. And Ms. Cordelia can speak more eloquently and deeply on this matter. A lot of black people are tend to be pretty moderate and conservative in many ways when it comes sure. to certain issues. I mean, there are things that you could hear in a, a, a black household. Uh, you would think you were at a Klan meeting sometimes. 
Uh, <laughs> and people wouldn't know that, right? And because of these, you know, when, when it comes to um, uh, uh, value systems. And so in, in 1990, I was at Manual High School on the South Side. Um, I, was, I, was, uh, I was an aspiring rapper at the time because I just had a fascination with words. And growing up, you know, sometimes I'd stay over Andy Jacobs, but he, of course, would give me reading assignments. Uh, so I'd have to read the paper and he'd say, now, Andre, tell me, you know, he had this kind of draw. He's this fascinating storyteller. So I'd have to write these assignments for Andy. So as I'm getting kind of this non-traditional consciousness from Congressman Jake, well, yeah, then Congressman Jacobs. And my grandmother was, I think she had, she was a state senator. She was a trustee at the time. We wanted a black history class taught at Manual High School. So I called this lady by the name of Pat Brown, who became Pat Payne, who was on this trip in 1984. She was an administrator at IPS, right? Absolutely. She was an administrator. And she said, well, sweetheart, if you can get a thousand signatures, we'll see what we can do. My white friends helped us. We we, We got the first 500 from them. Some kids on the south side of Indianapolis. And then we got the rest. And, you know, we were able following semester to get a black history class taught by a white educator because he had a degree in history. And that was a learning opportunity. And so fast forward a year later, I'm, I'm exploring. My mother, deeply Christian, was reluctant about my religious exploration because she saw it as a personal failure because my mom was uber Christian. And uh, my dad was kind of dismissive, but my grandmother with her right reverse psychology she encouraged my exploration because for her, he's rapping, he's into this religious thing, it'll keep him out of trouble. <laughs> so she's fanning the flames. I'm reading Malcolm X, I'm reading all these different books, and she's stirring the pot like a, she's very non traditional, like a wise grandmother who has the patience. She's gotten her anger out on the first set. But this grandchild, and Miss Cordelia knows, you know, uh, the grandmothers let you lick the bowl. So she's encouraging this, this exploration. And I started, you know, visiting different places. I was at a mosque. I got arrested, as, as you all know. Uh, at that time, you couldn't get released as a juvenile uh, on the weekends. Got, re- got released. There were people in the parking lot. Uh, I was a hero at school. I was nervous because my grandmother was, her fear was that I would get locked up as a young black male because I was used to getting, you know, stopped by the cops and harassed in that neighborhood. But, um, you know, I'm I'm rapping and hip hop at the time was very political. You had Public Enemy, you know, Rakim, Brand Nubians, all all these groups. And um, I started, I I saw myself as a revolutionary. Now, uh, uh, Robert and and Jim, you can be a revolutionary when you don't have a mortgage. Gotcha. Uh, It's easier (laughs) to fight the man and take down the system, you know, when you're 17 with very few responsibilities. Right. And, you know, I I, and and so I I had an interest there, but I I wasn't convinced I was going to be a politician per se, because my my view at the time was you needed outside agitation. And my grandmother, she was my grandmother who happened to be an elected official, but she was still my grandmother. I got older and I started, you know, I always volunteered with her campaign and other campaign efforts from uh, Judge Webster Brewer to Bill Crawford's efforts, always with Andy Jacobs. Uh, we're always going to labor halls and, and, you know, growing up around organized labor. And I think it was, you know, in my early 20s, helping out with judicial campaigns and council races. I started becoming more opinionated and my lens changed, even having worked for the excise police and you know, the advocacy that we do, we'd meet with folks, you know, at, at the time I worked out of, I was stationed out of Lafayette, we had 22 counties. And after I finished my undercover work, I was assigned to work on local boards. Now, according to Indiana state law, you have to have one representative from um, the excise police on these boards. So now I'm sitting on these boards, I have 22 boards and I'm I'm no longer working out, you know, produce campus undercover or, or doing those things, except, you know, on weekends or something. During the week, I'm in Clinton County, Indiana. 
I'm in Marshall County near South Bend. I'm in v- I'm in Vermilion County and all these other places. And Walmart wants to come into these counties. And they're jeopardizing the livelihood of the local package store, the local grocery store, you know, the local auto store. And I'm, these remonstrators are coming out and I'm becoming fascinated and intrigued by this process. I'm on the board with many of these folks are local farmers and businessmen and women. And I'm having lunch afterwards, hearing the town gossip and dealing with these remonstrators who were upset. I also saw a different part of the remonstrations is that a lot of these folks were kind of friends of the business owners. So there was a, a bit of pageantry there with these remonstrations. And so I'm asking my grandmother questions. I'm helping her with her race. And she's in Congress at that time. I then uh, help out with Lionel Kingroll Connolly's council race, a few other races. Um, I helped out with Bart Peterson's race. I was a co-field director um, along with, with, with someone else. And Jackie Needis at the time was uh, on the city council. And I'll have to edit, edit the story because I, I love Jackie. Uh, <laughs> Jackie ran for auditor. And so I said, well, hey, I'd love to run for Jackie's seat. So I had to talk to the excise police about me getting a waiver because I lived far away. And, and you know, I'm, I'm married at the time. So I moved back into my old neighborhood after having lived near Zionsville for some time. And... I'm thinking I'm going to run for city council, but Jackie doesn't get the auditor's seat. It's time to redraw the councilmatic seats. I get drawn a block out <laughs> of that old seat. I said, oh, man, this is warfare. This is real. Yeah, I was going to say, not by accident. Right? <laughs> I'm kind of talking a lot. This is you all show. <laughs> well, and, we, and, and let me just explain the first time that I uh, met your grandmother. Yes, sir. I I started uh, covering politics here in Indiana in the end of 1982. Wow. Uh, and sometime during the 1983 session of the General Assembly, uh, that's when when uh, Ms. Carson was in the state Senate. I walked into the horseshoe outside the Indiana House of Representatives where only staff and, and uh, members and, and the media can be. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was there uh, in a discussion with uh, a member of the House of Representatives. Uh, and she had this gentleman backed up against the lockers and she had a finger in his chest. And I heard her say, listen, MF. <laughs> <laughs> she was vocal. <laughs> wow, that's deep. Man, that's deep. And I have no idea. I have no idea who she was talking to yeah. at this point, but he was listening. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. The, the fact of the matter is, she was assertive. Yeah. Sure. That's true. She was that very is true. Assertive. But did she feel like she had to be because she was fighting so hard for a group of people whom, for her constituents, who she probably felt never really had a strong advocate, or at least not one as strong as she was. Well, you know, as I recall, the, the the piece of legislation that stands out in my mind when uh, Julia was in the House of Representatives, the Indiana House of Representatives, was the legislation so that uh, domestic workers could get the Social Security when they retired. Because her mother was not able to, who was a domestic worker. Mm-hmm. And, that, you know, being an African-American female, and I've never been on welfare in my life, thank God, uh, this is what she did. She remembered the little people, and she remembered uh, the uh, uh, her life as a child and a young woman. And, I, 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 you know, I think that's what many women remember uh, Julia for when she was in the House of Representatives in Indiana. Well, I think she's remembered for her service in the legislature and her service in Congress. I think people forget her service as center township trustee. She inherited uh, a big mess there, a huge debt, and and she got that place in order. Uh, I did a story, excuse me, I did a story at one point 
where uh, uh, she had had figured out that a, a number of people who had been granted poor relief by the trustee's office were uh, spending it uh, improperly. And so I went along with her one day uh, in the middle of the winter. She uh, she went and visited uh, probably six or eight uh, of these um, poor relief recipients, knocked on their door uh, and then when invited, walked in uh, behind her. She had uh, two uh, officers, uh, constables, uh, for those people who, who may know uh, the late Robert Black, um, wow. and Carl Drummer. CPI. <laughs> and it then followed by a TV camera, and she would come in and find out how these people had spent their money, and then she would pull out a legal pad and set it down in front of them and say, write me a contract and tell me how you're going to pay me back. Uh, oh, good memory. <laughs> and I Wish TV, where I was working at the time, had a, had a, a consultant uh, from uh, Dallas, Texas, who was in town the day we put that story on the air. And he called that the, the greatest government corruption story he'd ever seen. I mean, she uh, didn't, didn't you at one point, Jim, I remember you telling me the story that one of the people who was visited by then trustee Carson said, but I voted for you. And, and her response was, this, this is, is what she voted, voted for. for. This is what you voted for. Hello. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, I, I recall um, when she ran for trustee, I was, uh, I don't know if I mentioned work. I, yes, I did. I, I became staff representative for the Indiana AFL-CIO, uh, where I got a paycheck every week instead of every two weeks. And it was a livable <laughs> wage moving from state government. So I was in Wisconsin on vacation and I got a call from Julia and she said, I've been looking all over for you. Where the H are you? And I said, I'm on vacation. I'm in Milwaukee. She said, get your ASS back here and help me win this election. <laughs> and I said, I'm on vacation. She said, I need to win this election, Cordelia. So I came back and I was up all night at the copy machine <laughs> making wow. copies of political information for soon to be. Center Township Trustee Julia Carson. <laughs> well, Miss Cordelia, if it makes you feel any better, I once asked P.E. McAllister, who you guys all know, I asked P.E. McAllister one time, what was the first time you ever saw Mitch Daniels? And he said he was in some back room making copies for Keith Bulin. <laughs> oh, I remember wow. Keith Bulin. <laughs> you know. well, he, so she went on to Congress um, in, in what he, I think – her election, first election to Congress was in 1996, and uh, it was Democratic seat. Uh, <clears throat> she she beat um, Virginia Blankenbaker in in the fall, as I recall. But but yes. that seat really rode upon what happened in the Democratic primary, and she was challenged by Ann Delaney, who had recently been the state Democratic chairman and uh, had higher name ID probably, but. A lot of people uh, look past Julia Carson in that race, and they shouldn't have. And I think that's kind of her legacy is that she had um, she had built up a following and a support system, and she didn't need to buy the TV ads other people needed to buy. People turned out to vote for her, um, and I think in turn uh, for you, Congressman. No, certainly. Um, that's a great point. You know, it's um, – I think I think it was George Bush Jr. who said, uh, you know, when you when you come from a legacy, you inherit friends and enemies. But um, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, um, um, and, and I'm very conscious of that. Um, but, you know, when I ran, it presented an opportunity to kind of uh, to really prove myself. She was she wasn't around to uh, 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 give any orders or edicts. Of course, I had. A great mentorship of Miss Cordelia's and Senator Billy Broles. I remember meeting with them on my lunch breaks when I was at the Indiana Department of Homeland Security, and uh, I had to leave because of Hatch Act considerations uh, at the time. And then I did a still on the council. But you're absolutely right. You know, she did not like polls, 
and uh, she wouldn't look at the polls. I mean, it was it was an unorthodox strategy, but um, she didn't want to. I mean, she believed in radio. I think she she came from that generation, but I don't even think she went up on air until like her last election. And um, she was almost forced to do it. But uh, you're right. I mean, she she believed in, you know, what she called the power of the streets. And um, it was it was an unorthodox system. Um, I come out of it going door to door. And just I remember, you know, those phone calls calling the Bernetta Sloss Tanners to Miss Cordelia's kind of checking up with those precinct folks in ward chairs. Um, talk about strategy and the art of warfare and the art of persuasion. Um what a what 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 a fascinating time! What a fascinating time, especially now in this environment. It's a different environment, you know. Um, social media has its benefits, so you can kind of tell your own story, uh, but you still have to pay. You have to pay for ads on social media and YouTube now, so it's a different world. She had two memorable reelection bids um, against well financed Republicans. One of them was against uh, Gary Hoffmeister. Uh, mm-hmm. Who, who was a jeweler who had bought lots of radio ads and had high high name ID, um, and, and I the thing that you can't forget about that race is that she would never say his name properly. She always referred to him as Hossmeister. <laughs> <laughs> and I think Cord- Cordelia, am I right? She could have, she she knew how to pronounce his name. She did that on purpose. <laughs> that was a campaign strategy that many need to remember. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, she, she she didn't show him any respect and and ended up beating him easily, and and then she she also faced a challenge uh, from uh, Bros McVeigh, who had been uh, an aide to uh, Senator Dan Coats, and McVeigh was very well financed. I remember Dick Cheney, then vice president, came in and campaigned for him, and a lot of Republicans thought Bros McVeigh was going to win that race, yeah. and uh, the key moment in that race was uh, when she agreed to do a debate. Uh, she she agreed to debate Bros McVeigh uh, in front of a service club uh, in a meeting at uh, the old Holiday Inn North, which yeah. has since been torn down. Uh, and she had the first opening statement, and she got up on stage and started delivering this opening statement and explained in it that um, she was being treated poorly by McVeigh and the McVeigh campaign and that uh, he didn't deserve to share a stage with her. And uh, it, she's in the middle of this opening statement. I'll always remember this part. My my photographer, Jim Hester, turned to me and said, she's going to leave. Oh, <laughs> she, wow. she, she finished her opening statement and walked off the stage and left. And the media followed her. To, to the lobby of this hotel where she held a news conference. In the meantime, you, you, Bros McVeigh is back there talking to nobody. Uh, <laughs> she was a bare knuckle politician. Well, you was. know, uh, she uh, organized labor always supported Julia to a point mm. because she had a 97% labor voting record, I'm going to tell you. And she did not vote with labor one time during the Bill Clinton's presidency because the president had asked her to support him on some issue. And I don't even remember what the issue was. But when we went to a state convention, Jim, you know how all of the groups broke break out in caucuses. Right. So when Julia got ready to go to the labor caucus, who did not endorse her because they were going along with one of my favorite unions, UAW. They didn't want to let her in the room. And so I went up to her and I said, I'll go in this room with you. You follow me. So I did. You know, Bob Voorhees was president of the Central Labor Council then. And then it had to come down to votes by the labor group whether Julia was going to get the endorsement. So I get a call from Jerry McEntee, who is the international president of my union, and his signature is on my paycheck. And he calls and he says, you are going to that meeting and you're going to speak on behalf of Congresswoman Carson and she's going to win. Isn't she Cordelia? I said, yes, sir. (laughs) So we're out out on Shadeland in this hotel, in this conference room. 
And I'm speaking for Julia, and Terry Thurman is speaking for the union's position. And I cleaned his skunk that day, I'm happy to say. <laughs> and I love Terry Thurman, but, you know, I had a job to do. And Julia got the most votes out of that labor caucus for her endorsement. And I remember that so vividly, you know. And then when it was over, she called me and she used some of her choice words, but she was happy. And so was I. I had another paycheck, okay? Love Miss Cordelia for that meeting because uh, I I, I was there and... um, I think she cried, if you remember, Miss Cordelia. Yes, she did. Because she she came out of labor. She had worked hard for labor. She did. And I think there was a nastiness there, given her voting record, uh, that was shown to her that would not have been shown to a white brother. That's true. um, Who probably would have had a 60% voting record. He would have said, okay, we know you got to make a move here, a chess move. Yeah. And uh, so when I got to Congress, I actually fell out with the previous UAW guy, you probably heard about it. Uh, uh, we had a big to do, and I love the UAW, but you know, she's my grandmother, right? That's right. She's not Congress, she's my grandma. Like, you, <laughs> you're not gonna talk crazy to my grandmother. You know, I'm thinking rocking chairs and, you know, knitting socks. This is grandma, what are you doing? And so I would say to some some of my labor friends, I say, hey, if I ever have to make a move, I don't want to hear anything. I have a great record. Why? Because I have a reference point. And I came in, uh, Jim, Robert, you guys remember at one time our delegation, I think did we have six, seven Democrats, I want to say. And and some of those gentlemen, you know, their, their labor record was maybe 60 percent, but That's they were true. being given a pass. And I'm like, what's going on here? So. Yeah, the Indiana Democrats flipped three congressional seats in 2006. I only really know that because I was communications director in the Indiana Republican Party, and I had to be interviewed by Jim Shella immediately after the election. (laughs) Yeah, so that that was a defining moment for me. I, I, I think that she, given her very, I mean, you know, she was raised as an only child. She she had a speech impediment growing up. Uh, she uh, she learned how to sign at a very early age because she had a deaf neighbor, but uh, it, it you know it, it it made her very tough. She married young. She had two kids. She divorced, and I think I think those things defined her, and she was scrappy for it. Now she balanced between the kind of boldness, um, terseness, and uh, she's a bit honry, uh, but but she was fearless. You see it in in, in Miss Cordelia, who reminds me of her. But she also, you know, being a public figure, tried to do this balancing act of people pleasing, too. And I'll never forget, you know, a few days before she passed, I was on the council and I said, you know, she said, what are you doing? I said, I have to go here. I have to go here. I have to go there. She said, sweetheart, don't don't be like me. You're a lot like me. You know, don't 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 let people do you like they did me. I got to the point where I couldn't say no. I said, oh, well, I'm going to tell you, um, at the day after her second election, I had asked to meet with her. Mm. And we met, um, I always forget this hotel, that's right downtown off of Washington Street uh, uh, Embassy Suites. And we met at that restaurant. And she looked at me and she said, baby, if it had been anybody else, I would not be here. She said, I am so sick. So I cut my little conversation short and took her home. And later that evening, uh, it was broadcast that she was in the hospital. And I thought, oh, my God, you know, so. That was a that, tough time. That was a it tough was indeed. It, it was a different environment because I think now, I mean, I'm, I'm a middle aged guy and I've been I've had ulcers. I've been to the hospital. I've had neck issues. No one cares, right? <laughs> you know, they see me there as hey, but it was a different environment then. I think one because she was very prideful. She dealt with health issues in the past. Uh, I knew about them, but she couldn't be as transparent and get the support she probably needed because you know everything she did was being weaponized against her. And I can remember sneaking her into the hospital and. Folks in the hospital would call you guys in the media. And I mean, that's really, you know, talk about HIPAA. I mean, <laughs> that, was, 
<clears throat> that was before HIPAA. That was and before so, HIPAA. That's a good point. Yeah, you're right. So That's we could right. we could call the hospital and ask, you know, is is Julia Carson a patient there? And they would say yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's you wouldn't have to worry about me. I'd be like, listen, damn, I got an ulcer. I'm here, Jim, for a few days. <laughs> I'm interviewing me. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> leverage it, man. You got to leverage it, man. Yeah. <laughs> you are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise, and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Garmond Construction, Leaders and Legends, LLC, the Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, where Congressman Andre Carson once punched me in the arm, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. We are talking about the life, legacy, and impact of Congresswoman Julia Carson, and we're thrilled to have Miss Cordelia Burke, her longtime friend and political ally, her grandson, current U.S. congressman from the 7th District, Andre Carson, and political reporter emeritus, Jim Shella from Wish TV. One of the things that I wanted to make sure that I asked, there were two quick questions about her when it came to policy and constituents. I'll start with you, a congressman, please. Very few people in Indiana history has has done more to help veterans than Julia Carson. And all of us who are veterans mm. are very appreciative. Why do you think it was so important for her to serve the veteran community? That's a great question. Well, my, my, my grandfather, Sam Carson, he was a Marine. Her son, Sam Jr., a Marine. Her cousin's uh, in the army. So we, we kind of have a military family. You know, she, when, when she remarried, um, Mr. Clifford Gordon, who I spoke to the other day, uh, he was a major in the army. He moved to Indianapolis. In fact, we at one time we used to just shop at the commissary. So she was married to two military men. So she was a military wife. Right. Um, she 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 loved our veterans. She loved our troops, but she also understood uh, both sides of the kind of trauma that happens uh, post-war. Folks come home, uh, African American serving country, um, not received the same way, perhaps in the workforce and even in society. Um, seeing the after effects of what it means to serve, uh, what it means to perhaps not have one's needs met. And I think it developed a deep sensitivity and appreciation for our service members. I mean, being the mother of a service member as well gave her a different viewpoint. And so I think that she incorporated her personal experiences into her policy agenda. We should also mention that uh, Congressman Carson is a tech grad, since if we're bragging on Indianapolis public schools, as we often do on this podcast. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We did a podcast a couple of years ago, maybe about a year ago, 2020, kind of warps everyone's time on the, the life and times of Congressman Andy Jacobs, wow. who I was fortunate enough to get to know really well uh, through the, the kindness of Bill Bloomquist, uh, mm-hmm. professor at IPY. Wow. Um, talk a little bit, please, uh, Congressman, and then Miss Cordelia, about that relationship. Clearly, no one was more loyal to Andy Jacobs than Julia Carson. And no one was a bigger cheerleader for Julia Carson than Andy Jacobs. Yeah. You know, they were, they, they were like siblings. In fact, uh, she called Andy's dad, dad. Um, Mm. And, you know, he was, he was one of the few elected officials who could speak to her candidly and even occasionally, um, uh, 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 correct her, uh, and the opposite is true as well, uh, when he felt like she was too far out there. And she'd listen to Andy Jacobs, but she was a critic of Andy's as well. You know, there was a kind of a, uh, a loving criticism that went along with that, but they were, they were good friends. Um, she would, you know, a- a- Andy, you know, historian, uh, Andy, former police officer as well, Marion County Sheriff's Department. Uh, Andy's dad 
did a stint in Congress. I think he did a term um, in Congress. And Andy was able, you know, she worked for Andy Jacobs too. Mm -hmm. She would probably be what is now known as the district director uh, in his office. She lived in Washington, D.C. And so she understood having been a legislator herself uh, and also having worked in D.C., um, I think she 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 gained a greater appreciation of what Andy's work was about. But even when she became a member of Congress, they spoke regularly. And Andy and my grandmother shared a very unique sense of humor, um, a bit edgy, a bit avant-garde. Uh, I, I'd say, uh, you know, Jackie Gleason, uh, easily <laughs> Bell Reynolds, Red Fox, Moms Mabley. Uh, Sarah Silverman, uh, Joan Rivers kind of comedy, uh, unbridled, uncut, raw, raunchy, provocative, edgy, uh, uh, politically incorrect. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it was a different time and era. But they but 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 also they were, you know, progressives, um, but they understood human nature quite well. And I should also mention that, as we all know, that Andy Jacobs had a distinguished and very brave stint in the United States Marine Corps. Oh, without question. A very proud Marine at that. A very proud Marine at that. Um, Andy loved our country as well. But Andy was anti-war, much like my grandmother, uh, which is very curious, you know, coming from a military man. Um, But it was a very close relationship. And and, um, she he, he was he was very deeply affected by her departure because uh, he had a wonderful wife in Kim who I spoke to the other day, but in terms of having a sister, he had a, he had a sister, but in terms of having a sister who could connect him to the other side of town, um, mm-hmm. but still keep it real with him and, and introduce him to uh, folks in our society who uh, are outliers. Uh, where, where else could a Congressman go? and meet another a state representative, but at the same time, um, uh, meet somebody who is uh, self-employed, uh, perhaps uh, in the underground market, <laughs> stopping by to see <laughs> Julia because his mom's social security benefits weren't there. I mean, what an experience, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that was a part of the relationship through my lens. I know Ms. Cordelia has a different insight. Well, you know, the two could not be more sibling-like if they were had the same mothers and fathers. They really loved and respected each other. I was somewhat close to Andy as well. Uh, and uh, my, I was thinking of my time lobbying on the Hill uh, I, I lobbied Andy in his office in Congress and, of course, the congresswoman uh, who knew I was coming and knew how I love fried chicken. She had fried chicken for me in her office. <laughs> and we sat there and I lobbied her on Alcimi's issues and ate fried chicken. And then let me say this about my visit to Lee Hamilton's office. Mm. Uh, I went to Lee's office and, uh, of course, AFSCME had made the uh, arrangements for me. And I walked in, and many of you may not know, but there was John Perkins. And John Perkins was the political director for the National AFL-CIO. And, but he was from Indiana. He grew up in South Bend, Indiana. And so when Congressman... Hamilton came out, he said to John, well, John, it's nice to see you, but I'm going to talk to uh, Mrs. Lewis Burks first because she is a constituent. (laughs) (laughs) Now, John Perkins was a man that gave out all of the paychecks from the National AFL-CIO, but I will never forget Congressman Hamilton for allowing me to meet with him before John. Miss Cordelia, you know, let me go ahead. I was going to ask you about another relationship, but please go finish. Uh, I, I think of the legislation that Julia sponsored, and she continued the same path from the Indiana House and Senate to Congress. 
And, uh, you know, there was a bill, um, I mean, it was 4335 House bill, House resolution to promote youth financial aid. And then there was property tax relief, which she's, she was a co-sponsor with Baron Hill. And I mentioned those two bills, and there are others in the back of my mind, that Julia did not change when she went to Congress. She still represented the people in her 7th Congressional District. The other relationship I wanted to ask about, which, of course, uh, Jim, please pipe in as well. But that was the relationship between Congresswoman Carson and Bill Crawford. How did they become so close and how much impact did they have, not only in the state house, but but on Indianapolis and the urban core, which was clearly the focus of their heart, mind and soul? Well, you know, as I recall, Bill Crawford and uh, Glenn Howard and some others were members of the Black Panthers uh, in its heyday. And Julia took them, as I remember, under her wing and taught them how to get things done where they would get the support of the people. And it was not through the Black Panthers. So I think that's where that relationship became so strong. And of course, there was none who uh, young people, and Bill used to be young, and so did was Glenn Howard, that respected Julia and would listen to her. She could get the attention of many young people. Uh, and she was responsible for a lot of African-Americans being elected to positions are being appointed to many boards that would uh, parachute them to where they wanted to go. But she knew how to do, talk to young people uh, and, and get their attention. Jim you, Jim, you saw Julia Carson and Bill Crawford work together. What was that like? Well, in fact, there's a, a photograph that hangs in the hallway outside the Indiana House of Representatives. Uh, 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 from a time when she was in the state Senate and Bill was in the House of Representatives and she's leaning over his, his shoulder, giving him some instruction. But uh, he, they they obviously work together and work together well. And I and I think during that era, they, they were representing the same constituents. Um, she in the Senate and, and he in the House of Representatives. Um, but, they, you know, as, as uh Congressman Carson has pointed out here, she never forgot uh, it, that uh, it, she was uh, a, an African American representative, and 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 neither did did Bill Crawford. They uh, they were on the lookout to help minority causes, uh, and and their districts, especially when she got to Congress, it, it was not a, a minority majority district. Um, but they were, they, and the, and that doesn't mean they were ignoring their other constituents either, but, uh, uh they were there, um, doing what they felt was best for, for the people they represented. And, and I think they were recognized for that, both of them with very long careers. Congressman. Jim, let me say, do you remember when there were multi-member districts? Yes. Yes. Uh, uh, and, and, I, and the African-American community. <laughs> Yeah, there were there, there were three representatives from a single district uh, in a couple of different districts in Marion County. I, I actually uh, covered the the U.S. Supreme Court argument uh, in the case that dissolved that 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 led to the the dissolving of that. Yeah, and and there was one person that I want to give uh, recognition to as well, and that was that is John Day. John Day worked mm. very hard with Julia and. Bill and and many people in the community to abolish those multi-member districts. Yeah, state representative on the east side, John yeah. Day, what probably the nicest man I've ever met in politics. He's certainly at the top of the list. One of the nicest we've met. Congressman, Miss uh, Cordelia mentioned this, and I think Jim did a little bit too. But Congresswoman Carson's impact on the political landscape of Indianapolis. It's 
I mean, I, obviously you, of course, and I'm thinking of my friend, uh, the late Tony Duncan, my main man, yeah, who talked more smack than any <laughs> elected official I've ever met, and it's nice not even close. It. <laughs> exactly right. And if you yeah. don't believe me, ask Andrea Scott because she was there as he called <laughs> oh, me out. You're taking it there, yep. <laughs> you know it, yep. Carl Drummer. Uh, hopefully, yeah. that uh, then we have Ladonna Freeman and Cherish Pryor, and and obviously, I think we should. Even though he was an elected official, Lacey Johnson obviously has to be a complete uh, another an IPS Hall of Famer. As a matter of fact, Lacey Johnson yep. has to be part of this discussion. Yeah. A lot of elected officials create this family of elected officials, of, of people who go on to do great things. Mitch Daniels, Robert, you know, Bob Orr, Evan Bayh, Bart Peterson, the list goes on and on, right? Bill Hudnut, obviously. How proud was Congresswoman Carson of her political family? Hmm. That's a great question. But very proud, very protective. Uh, in fact, well, we can't forget that she invested so much in Bill Crawford and she believed in him so much that he took her place as state rep. That's right. Uh, but, you know, she, very, very protective, uh, indeed territorial. Um, she saw herself uh, as having her 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 uh, uh, her fingerprint on a lot of black elected officials. In fact, she would oftentimes get offended when she would hear entrepreneurs, particularly black entrepreneurs, tout themselves as having been self-made. She'd say, first of all, you couldn't do it without the Lord. And secondly, uh, if you weren't in here kissing our asses trying to get these bills passed, you wouldn't have to do it. Offended by these, you know, folks who say, I'm self-made, no one gave me anything. And she would remind them, you know, no one is self-made. But I think because she worked so hard, um, to help pave the way for so many people, um, she had she was overly sensitive. Um, I think one because you know, a, as a woman, as a black woman, that oftentimes when she still felt like even there was still a good old boys club even amongst men, you know. And so I'd uh, I'd often tell her, you know. Besides uh, my dreams of being uh, uh, the next uh, 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 Denzel, uh, you know, having these entrepreneurial dreams. And she'd say, yeah, but you better make sure you take care of the women who work for you. And that's why, you know, leaders in my organization are, are, are women, because she felt like even amongst the black men, there was still a good old boys club and that they benefited from being men, you know, this was before the red pill, brother, uh, brother Vane, you know, <laughs> but, but very territorial, man. She was very territorial and protective um, of, of those folks. She was protective of Lacey, of Carl, certainly of uh, Tony Duncan. Uh, and, and Billy Bro, who Billy filled Bro. her seat when she went to Congress. Oh, we love Billy Bro. Yeah, Billy Bro's a, a She's sweetheart. He's Miss Cordia is one of her one of her BFFs. Absolutely. We both grew up in McDowell County, West Virginia. You all didn't know that, did you? (laughs) And we went to the same uh, college. It was a college then. It's now university. West Virginia. And you mentioned uh, Andy Jacobs wife, Kim Hood Jacobs, who we think the world of, too. A very sweet, very nice lady. Go ahead, Jim. Well, I just wondered, Congressman, we have the, the Julia Carson Government Center. We have the Julia Carson Transportation Center downtown. Um, at, at the same time, when you know, there are some significant leaders of Indianapolis, uh, Bill Hudnut, for example, who, who don't really have anything named after them uh, in this town. Do you think she's gotten her proper due? You know, I would have liked to have seen the airport named after her. I mean, certainly we appreciate the terminal um, and what Ivy Tech has done, but she really worked hard uh, on that airport effort, especially with uh, Bill Clinton. Um, you know, no disrespect to the to Weir family, but uh, it, in my mind, I mean, because, you know, she's still my grandmother. She's still grandma to me, you know. Yeah. Honest woman, yes, but she's grandma, you know, to me. So I would like to have... Uh, seen other things, but, you know, I'm biased in that regard. I think Counselor Duke Oliver wants to uh, name a portion of Fall Creek after her. Um, 
But uh, I mean, do you think it, her house is going to be? Was her house designated a national historic site, or is it on the the effort to be done so? <laughs> That's funny you ask that. I um, a friend of mine who I was um, working in Intel with, his wife is a realtor. She reached out to me. They live in Carmel. The so my uncle had the house. Um, someone else, a developer, has the house. <laughs> he fixed it up. All right. Uh, it looks great. I've seen pictures. So I'm going to try to get by there, hopefully, to take a look at it if I can. But, you know, it was always my dream to um, have somebody really invest in it and put some money into it and just fix it up. It's a it's a great house. But I just think, um, you know, the money that I mean, she got it for dirt cheap because we used to live next door. But uh I'm happy that someone made the right investment in it. You know, it's unfortunate. I think my uncle tried to get the designation there, but it, once it's designated an historical site, you can't live there. Um, but a developer has it now. I'll say that much. Um, well, the reason I specifically mentioned her house is during her time in office, hmm. how important it was for her to foster home ownership, Man. especially in the black community, any even cursory reading of of Jim Crow era America will will leave you in shock at at how few uh, black Americans owned homes, not only because of economic uh, challenges, but also because of restrictive covenants, because of laws. And when that started to get broken down, clearly, uh, as African-American homeownership grew, it became one of the cornerstones for economic advancement. And I have a quote here from the Congresswoman, which I thought was very instructive, in which she said, quote, home ownership is the cornerstone of a healthy, thriving city. Man. How important was it to her? Because if you're not able to own a home in previous generations, then that means you're not able to pass down the home to the next generation. How hard did she work to break that? You're going there, brother. Uh, well, you know, this is a public forum. So what I will say is this. She valued home ownership without question. Um, uh, I'll edit my comments. She, she, um, she, at one point, she owned maybe four homes on, on, on the street, on the block, you know. Um, and even an apartment building around the corner, which obviously she, you know, donated to uh, uh, the VA. Um, I've seen her, you know, when we talk about this uh, eviction moratorium, uh, of course, I support the extension. But I, but, but, but I have to admit that um, I watched her as a landlord struggle because she had such a big heart. And folks, you know. I've been working since I was 14. She made me pay rent. She threatened to kick me out, obviously. She, the, 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 the dramatic side of her. But she encouraged home ownership. You know, she struggled. She would often get write-ups in the paper. Jim, you may remember this. And, and Robert, you may remember this about her taxes because she just never took the time out to get somebody to just organize her paperwork for her because she was a paper hoarder and she had the paperwork, but she'd always be late on her taxes, but she prided herself in home ownership so much. Now, uh, this was before, you know, uh, landscaping was a big thing because I had to cut all the damn yards, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I'd watch her threaten me, which made me a responsible uh, person in terms of paying my mortgage. Uh, paying, you know, $50, $100, $150 as a teenager, but she'd let tenants stay who'd miss five, six months. But she took such great pride in owning that house and owning those homes on that street. And she said, one thing they can't do is kick me out of my home. I mean, she comes from that generation. She said, you know what? This land is mine. This house is mine. I own it. And there's a freedom there. And so, you know, to, I think I think being able to pass down property is so valuable and so necessary in the black community. Uh, it breaks my heart when I see families um, who who don't get that opportunity. 
um, you know, because of because of human nature or, or human frailty. Um, so, you know, my hope is that in my own way, uh, I can continue that spirit um, and, and, and be able to highlight black home ownership and pass it down to my family. I'm sitting here looking, reading a card of many, of hundreds that I have gotten from Handle It Home Buyers. Cordelia uh, Lewis Burke, my name is Amber and I want to buy your house. Mm. And if she called me, I tell her I want to buy yours too. Because <laughs> <laughs> mine is in my estate plan for my grandchildren. Come on. Jim, do you have one final question before we let these good folks go? Well, if you read Julia Carson's uh, biography online, um, it, it says that her biggest accomplishment in Congress was passage of the bill that that gave a, a congressional gold medal to Rosa Parks. Yeah. Uh, and I think it was, that's that is very significant that she recognized that Rosa Parks hadn't been given her due and she made sure that that's happened. True. But but we've just spent an hour talking about all that she accomplished at various levels of government. Is it fair to say that's her biggest accomplishment? Uh, I would say that that one may be the most widely known. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if I, as I look at some of the legislation that she either sponsored or co-sponsored and put them, I would dump them all together and say these are her accomplishments for the people of the seventh congressional district and the country. No, that's a good point. I think it's probably the most acknowledged uh, and notable, but in terms of revolutionary and radical change, um, her greatest work, she would probably say was at the trustee's office. I mean, she was appreciative mm -hmm. and she was proud to be a Congresswoman, but she loved being the trustee. I mean, the reforms uh, that took place there, um, uh, I helped out with the man-to-man uh, -man program led by the late Dr. Pastor Hannah. And just, you know, the fact that the work that she did with the homeless population, the fact that she was able to save the trustee's office and create a surplus back then. I mean, it, it, it meant so much more to her. I, I was disappointed, quite frankly, when she left the state Senate to become trustee because I didn't get it. You know, why would you want to stop being a state senator? Be, what is a, tr a trustee? Are you yeah, serious? Yeah, I wondered about that, too. <laughs> Are you serious? But, you know, at, at the time, you know, I used to trek up to Columbus, Indiana with her, you know, because we have a part-time General Assembly. And she worked at Cummins. And she dropped me off at a place called The Commons in Columbus, Indiana. And, you know, I, I'd watch E.T. and Time Bandits and uh, 16 <laughs> candles and whatever else was out until she got off of work, but got off of work. But her, I think her greatest work she would say was at the trustee's office. And I don't want to leave this uh, program without mentioning the impact and the respect for each other that Elwood Black had mm -hmm. for Julia and she for him. That's so true. She was he. She was his secretary at UAW uh, Local 550. That's true. Congresswoman Julia Carson passed away on December fifteenth, two thousand seven, and I remember walking in her funeral procession alongside Mayor-elect Greg Ballard on a mm -hmm. relatively cold December day from her house to the. State House, and it was interesting. I'd never seen. I mean, you have the Irish St. Patrick's Day Parade and other Veterans Day parades, but to just see the people who've come out of their homes or came out, or left their offices just to watch it, watch the procession, was something that will never leave me because it was so unique. Uh, we're going to close the Leaders and Legends podcast with a terrific uh, tribute said by Andre Carson. Let's remember Congresswoman Carson by doing the people's work and fighting for those who don't have a voice. When you talk about Julia Carson, you are talking about an American icon, the people's champ. All right. Wow. Thank you for joining us on the Leaders and Legends podcast. Our guests today have been Miss Cordelia Lewis-Burks, Congresswoman, excuse me, Congresswoman Julia Carson, Congressman Andre Carson and 
political reporter emeritus from Wish TV, Jim Shella. Thank you both so much for your, thank you all for your time. It's been a terrific conversation. It's been a long time coming and it's been worth every second of wait. I'm grateful for your time. What an honor. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to Leaders and Legends, brought to you by Veteran Strategies Incorporated. If you want to contact us about this program or our menu of public relations services, please send us an email at robert at veteranstrategies.com. That's robert at veteranstrategies.com. Mm-hmm.